0: Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. There is an ancient Chinese proverb that says no light is complete without its darkness. In Western civilization, we speak of it as two sides to one coin. What I believe that both these sayings are telling us is that often we find two extreme polar opposite experiences that are in truth, but two expressions of one and the same source. Such is the case in one of the greatest psychological epidemics that face our generation. I speak of the emotional bipolar experience of total narcissist egocentrism and its polar opposite twin of a total sense of worthlessness. There has been no generation previous to ours in which the greatest of platforms has been given to each and every individual to make a global difference as it has been given to each and every individual of our generation. Simply and practically speaking, the Internet coupled with all its technological advancements has placed within the lap of each and every person to start a global awareness, start a national mind shift, and even a civil rebellion. Any person with an internet connection has access to the greatest sources of research materials and educational opportunities. Together with this, any person with an internet connection can start a worldwide business of any sort. If there was ever a generation in which each and every person should tangibly feel at his fingertips the potential of his or her true self-worth, it should be our generation. And nevertheless, there was no generation like ours in which depression anxiety and a sense of worthlessness was so domineeringly rampant. The sense of worthlessness of which we speak expresses itself in two polar opposite expressions. One expression is that of total narcissism, narcissism and egocentrism, while the other expression is one of total depression and a feeling of being the worthless, intolerable waste of society. While these two expressions seem to be of total opposite psychological and emotional issues, they are in truth one and the same issue. Both of these expressions come from one and the same perversion of self-identity in which the individual is suffering and battling with a total and deep lack of self-identity and self-worth it is precisely in the mystical teachings of this week's torah portion and its story of the 12 spies that moses and the jewish people sent to explore the promised land that we can find judaism's solution to this modern epidemic of people having a sense of worthlessness let us begin with a simple story as it took place 3,328 years ago. The Jewish people left Egypt to enter into the Promised Land. As they stood there at the border, ready to enter, an uncertainty overtook them, and they wanted to first send spies to bring them back a report of the land, its inhabitants, and its fruit. God found this uncertainty and lack of trust in his promise of it being a promised land as an offense and told Moses that while God is allowing for this to happen, God is taking an oath that he will provide sufficient logical doubt in order for the spies to bring back fearful reports causing the Jewish people to be afraid of entering into the promised land opening for them a test of faith, whether they will or will not trust in God. Moses went ahead and sent one spy from each tribe, giving the 12 spies specific directions of what they are to look for and what they are to report back about to the Jewish people. One of the primary verses in the report of the spies is, and I quote a verse, the land we pass through to explore is a land that consumes its inhabitants. Simply speaking, our sages explain that God made a miracle that the inhabitants of the land were preoccupied with funerals so that the spies can move around unnoticed. Therefore, whatever the spies, wherever the spies went, they, they saw funerals. And they therefore reported that it is a land that eats its inhabitants. Then they went on to report that the inhabitants were mighty and that it was their opinion that the Jewish people would not be victorious in conquering the land. Parenthetically speaking, I want to note that this is a problem that we suffer from with the tourist guides in Israel until this very day. They are asked to give tourists the historical facts but instead they give their political opinions. That's what the 12 spies did. Mass hysteria broke out in the Jewish camp and the Jewish people cried that they would not enter into the promised land. Amongst these 12 spies, there were two that remained faithful. Joshua, the future successor of Moses and Caleb, the brother-in-law of Moses. Our sages tell us that Joshua could not influence the Jewish people for he was unfortunately childless. And they said that Joshua was not concerned for the outcome of the Jewish people's futures, a future existence in the promised land. However, I quote the verse, "Caleb silenced the people to hear about Moses and he said, We can surely go up and take possession of it for we can indeed overcome it. End quote. This story demands understanding the Torah itself testifies concerning these 12 spies that and I quote a verse all of them were men of distinction they were the heads of the children of Israel End quote these were righteous holy and spiritual men Even throughout the entire era of slavery in Egypt the Jewish people lived with the promise of Jacob and Joseph that God would take them out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land From when Moses came to them as their Redeemer, Moses had told them that he is taking them to the Promised Land. How could this have happened at the very moment that the Jewish people's destiny was finally to be fulfilled, that the finest and the holiest of them create a rebellion against entering into the Promised Land? Even more so, these righteous and spiritual men reported their opinion as And I'm going to quote one of the verses We are unable to go up against the people For they are stronger than we Upon this verse, Rashi, Rab Shlomo Yitzchaki Quotes our sages as saying Now I will quote the Rashi First he quotes the words of the verse For they are stronger than we The word than we in Hebrew Reads as Mimenu Which may also be interpreted as They are stronger than he, me men know. They said this in reference to the Most High, God, as it were, as if to say that the people are stronger than he, than God. End quote of Rashi. How could these righteous, holy and spiritual men, leaders of the Jewish people, have said or even believed such a thing? The answer to this can be found in the mystical insight to the story of the spies. It is precisely because they were so spiritual that they were so petrified of going into the promised land, into the physical. Our sages teach us that the Torah at Mount Sinai could only be given to the eaters of manna, spiritual food. The generation that received the Torah at Mount Sinai were called Dor De'ah, Generation of Knowledge. They lived completely in a spiritual environment in which their clothing were cleaned and pressed by the clouds of glory, their water was miraculously provided from a rock and their food from heaven. Their entire occupation was only all about spirituality. Even the majority of their mitzvot observance were performed spiritually The majority of the 613 commandments can only be physically observed when the majority of the Jewish people are living in Israel Therefore, this majority of the 613 commandments were performed by this generation of Moses on the spiritual level Thus, these spiritual people were petrified to go into the physical lifestyle of agriculture, clothing, government and all the rest of what the Torah means when it states six days a week you shall work on the physical level work why were they so petrified of the physical lifestyle in the physical environment of the promised land let us return to the focal point verse of the words of the spies the land we pass through to explore is a land that consumes its inhabitants. However, this time, let us read the verse through mystical lenses. To live within the physicality of the lifestyle and environment of the promised land will consume us completely as a spiritual people. That's what the spies were really saying. To quote one of my mentors, when you give up on eating barbecued steaks, you will discuss with me the mystical teachings of Chasidus. As were the spies, my mentor too was crying out to us that the two pursuits, that of the physical and that of the spiritual, are mutually exclusive and cannot coexist. Let us get deeper into the mystical point of view of this story. What exactly did the spies mean when they said that the land will consume its inhabitants? There are two mystical explanations to this in the teachings, which seem to be saying polar opposite concepts. To understand the first one, we will need an introduction. Let us look into the spiritual source of the physical food chain. Spiritually speaking, the lower must nurture and nourish from the greater. Thus, the food chain seems to be upside down. How can the human live off the plants that come from the inanimate soil of the earth? Seemingly, the spark of God within the plant and within the earth is far lower than the soul within man. How then can we, the human, live off of the lower categories of the animal, the plant, and the inanimate soil of the earth? To understand this, we will turn to a mystical teaching of the great Rabbi Isaac Luria known as the Arizal and the Ari HaKadosh. The world that we presently live in and of which the human soul comes from is that of tikkun, orderliness. However, before this dimension of reality existed, there was a mighty dimension of reality which was called tohu, chaos. This is the mystical interpretation of why the verse in Genesis states all the kingdoms of Edom, the offspring of Esau, which was the ma- who was the manifestation of Tohu, mighty ca- chaos, before going on the journey and reign of the offspring of Jacob, who is the manifestation of Tikkun, orderliness. As the verse itself in Genesis states, and these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the children of Israel. What we're really saying on a mystical level is that there was the reign of Tohu, mighty chaos, before the reign of Tikkun, orderliness. What is the mighty world of Tohu all about? And what happened to it? Unlike the lower world of Tikkun, in which the lights are weakened and the vessels are thickened so that the world be sustainable, the world of Tohu manifested absolute intensity. In which the lights were infinitely powerful, and the vessels were fragile and refined. Therefore, what happened to the mighty world of Tohu was that the vessels could not sustain the intensity of the light, and they shattered. To be precise, two hundred and forty-eight sparks of the vessels, of the shattered vessels of Tohu, we are taught, fell into the world of Tikun. Now, the rule of the spiritual as in the rule of physics is that when you when a tall wall of stones falls it is specifically the highest stones of the wall that fall the hardest and embed themselves the deepest into the ground so too it is precisely into the deepest and lowest categories of the animal the plant and the inanimate soil of the earth into which the mighty sparks of tohu fell This is why there is specifically within the physical such a mighty experience of passion and pleasure, which comes from the intensity of Tohu. This also explains the verse, explanation to the seemingly reversed order of the food chain. The verse says that man does not live by bread alone, but rather by whatever comes forth from the mouth of the Lord does man live. The words in the verse, whatever comes forth from the mouth of the Lord, mystically means the spark of Tohu. Thus, the soul of man from the lower world of Tikkun is appropriately nurturing from the higher, mighty sparks of Tohu. What this is telling us concerning our lecture is that for a person to enter into the physical lifestyle of the physical environment, is for the weaker light of Tikkun to enter into the mighty light of Tohu which can be very dangerous and daunting to the point that the spies cried out in fear that the mighty land of Tohu, chaos, we pass through to explore is a land that consumes its inhabitants. Before I explain how this mystical interpretation defines the world, consume I want to clarify one detail of the shattering of the vessels of the world of Tohu. The reason why the world of Tohu shattered is of the ego of the emotions. In the emotions demanding infinite intensity. When we search and demand to experience infinite intensity in our spirituality and our emotions, we set ourselves up for an unsustainable way of life. And we will shatter and self-decompose. The emphasis that I want to make here is that the shattering of Tohu only took place in the lower seven emanations, which are the emotions, in which there is the experience of ego. However, the higher three emanations, which are the intellects, is where humility is experienced. And thus the intellect emanations did not shatter, I will return to this concept soon. Let's return. Now we can understand the first mystical interpretation of the words of the spies, a land that consumes its inhabitants. The spirituality of Tikkun, the soul and lifestyle of the human, especially as they lived within the desert with Moses, is the weaker dimension of spirituality and therefore allows for the human experience to be that of a sustainable self-identity without becoming totally consumed and lost within the light. However, when the human soul of Tikkun enters into the mighty intense spirituality of Tohu which is the spirituality within the physical service to God, the human will totally lose his identity as the flame of a candle completely loses itself within the infinite Mother Flame. Thus, according to this interpretation, the spies' concern of being consumed is not about the spirituality being diminished and extinguished by the physicality of the Promised Land. Rather, it is the polar opposite, in which the spies feared that their identity of self would be totally consumed into nothingness as they will be lost in the Infinite Intense Spirituality of Tohu. The second interpretation is focused not on the Infinite Intense Spirituality of the Sparks of Tohu within the physical, rather it is focused on the extinguishing power that the pursuit of the physical can have on the spirituality of a person. Thus the words, a land that consumes its inhabitants, means that we want to stay spiritual here in the desert, surrounded by the clouds of glory, fed from heaven, and occupying ourselves only with prayer, Torah study, and self-purification. In essence, the second interpretation answers the first interpretation. For the way that the human of Tikkun can absorb the infinite intense light of Tohu without turning into total nothingness is specifically by embracing the physical world of reality by rectifying, refining, elevating and transforming the intense ego of the physicality into a humble transparency to God's will Yes, spirituality doesn't exist for us to experience ecstasy but for us to humbly serve and connect with God With this subduing and transformation of the physical, we can safely absorb the light of Tohu. However, how does one ascertain that we do not get completely swallowed and consumed by the powerful and intense egocentric thrill of physical passion and pleasure? The second interpretation of the spy's concern is one that each and every one of us can very tangibly relate to. It is a noble mission to embrace the secular physical world and all that it has to spiritually offer us through physical acts of kindness and goodness. However, the reality is that we get lost in the physical world of pursuit for happiness, and we are most often drowned by the intensity of fame, power, wealth, passion, and pleasure that the physical world tempts us with. This is what Kaleb addresses in his words to the Jewish people. However, I believe that before I explain Caleb's answer to the spies' concern, that it is first time to stop for a moment and translate the spies' double-headed concern into our world and our lives of modernity. You will remember that I spoke to you of the sparks of Tohu being only the emotion emanations of Tohu. You will also remember that I explained the fear of being spiritually diminished and extinguished by the passion and the pleasure of the physical experience. Thus, in both interpretations, we are speaking of being consumed by our emotions. More precisely, as with what we, sta- we started this lecture, here again what we are actually speaking of are two seemingly polar opposite interpretations which are in truth but one, two sides of one coin and two expressions of one experience. When we experience an emotional sense of worthlessness, we express this sense of worthlessness in one of two ways. And most often, we express ourselves in both extremes as we swing as a pendulum from one expression to the other. On the one hand, we are consumed with proving to others the intensity of our worth and we go to intense extremes of narcissism, self-centeredness and often self-righteousness. On the other hand, we are consumed by a total paralysis of depression, defeat and feeling of victimhood. On the one hand, we are ready to take on the infinite intensity and on the other hand, we are in the sphere of not being able to survive simple living experiences This is what the spies within us are saying Now, where does this stinking thinking come from? Rabbi Shalom Dov Be'er of Lubavitch explains a very interesting difference between the godly soul and the animalistic soul within us as to why the animalistic soul can become suicidal, while the godly soul can't. The godly soul, regardless of what level of descent and disconnect it goes through in this physical lifetime, it ultimately knows that it is truly a piece of God. Therefore, on the most fundamental level of its self-identity, it knows that it is good, godly and a loved and precious child of God. However, the animalistic soul, when it is thrown into the spear and depression of what it is doing and who it has become, it reflects on the fact that ultimately it is an offspring of klipat noga, husk of light, which even though it is somewhat transparent to the light, and that's why it's called husk of light, nevertheless, it is a husk, which means that it is related to the other side This is why the animalistic soul can become suicidal in its throes of despair and depression from its deep sense of worthlessness It sees itself as the darkness, fundamentally as the darkness of the other side Thus, the animalistic soul in its uncontrollable intensity of emotions experiences the bipolar expressions of a sense of worthlessness. On the one hand, it is the human experience of narcissism and self-centeredness totally blinded by I want what I want and I want it now. In these moments of when the intensity of our egocentric emotions blind us, we lose all sense of right and wrong. Ultimately, this inner rage of hunger is driven by a deep sense of worthlessness that needs to be drugged and numbed. And we do it through driving ourselves into a blind, infinite intensity of egocentric emotions. On the other hand, after the smoke settles, the animalistic soul swings to the other polar extreme expression of its sense of worthlessness and feels utter despair of how it was absolutely helplessly consumed and extinguished by the intensity of its emotional narcissism and here it borders on becoming suicidal. It enters into a total paralysis. This is what the voices of the spies are saying within the person who lives within the intense egocentric emotions of his animalistic soul being his higher power. Okay, guys. I got a little lost myself here in becoming too intense, so let's take it down a notch. No suicidal and no higher power issues, simply speaking. Each on his own level experiences the bipolar throes of emotions in which on the one hand we shoot too high in order to feel like a somebody, and on the other hand we get knocked down by the fear and depression of not being good enough to be an anybody. How do we get past this bipolar emotional paralysis? The first thing that Kaleb did was that he silenced the people to Moses. What does it mean that Kaleb silenced the people and what does it mean that he silenced the people to Moses? The way to get past the paralysis of the intensity of egocentric emotions is to silence them. In Ian Halperin's biography of Guy Laliberta, the founder of Cirque du Soleil, Ian relates that he asked Guy why he always drives with the music blasting so loud. Guy responded that he does that so that he doesn't hear the voices in his head. Guy was trying to silence one polar expression of his animalistic soul's sense of worthlessness. The side of fear, depression, and paralysis. However, in reading his entire biography, I learned that because he only outscreamed one of the voices, ultimately he struggled desperately with both of the bipolar voices of the sense of worthlessness of the animalistic soul. The way to truly silence the voices of the animalistic soul's intense emotions is by silencing them to Moses. Mystically speaking Moses here in this verse refers to the humility of the intellects Moses is our teacher the man who brought us the teachings of the Torah and thus mystically refers to the intellect the humility of the intellect Now yes Guy was right about one thing The first level of silencing the voices of the egocentric emotions is by shouting them down I will quote to you how Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Liadi, the founder of Chabad Lubavitch, explains this concept in his founding works, The Tanya. Let's see how Rabbi Schneier Zalman of Liadi talks about shouting down, silencing the egocentric emotions through shouting them down. I quote, it's the end of chapter 29. Indeed we find this explicitly stated in the Torah in connection with the spies who at the outset declared For he is stronger than we, read not than we, but than he For they had no faith in God's ability But afterwards they reversed themselves and announced, lo, we will rarely go up Whence did, they fa- did their faith in God's ability return to them Our teacher Moses peace unto him had not meanwhile shown them any sign or wonder concerning this. He had only told them that the Lord was angry with them and had sworn not to allow them to enter the land. Why should this have influenced them and of what avail was this to them if they did not believe heaven forbid in the Lord's ability to subdue the 31 kings for which reason they had no desire whatever to enter the land. But undoubtedly, since the Israelites themselves are believers, the descendants of believers, except that the Sitra Akhra, the other side, which is clothed in their bodies, the animalistic soul, had risen against the light of the holiness of their divine soul, their godly soul, in her impundent haughtiness and arrogance, without sense or reason, now, therefore, As soon as the Lord had become angered against them And thundered angrily How long shall I bear with this evil congregation Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness I the Lord have spoken I will surely do it until all this evil congregation And goes on with harsh words Their heart was humbled and broken within them When they heard these stern words As it is written And the people mourned greatly Consequently, the citra achra, the other side, the animalistic soul, toppled from its dominion, from its haughtiness and arrogance, leaving the Israelites to their inborn faith. So, yes, the first step is Vayahas Kalev, and Kalev silenced them. He silenced them, and now we're learning, mystically speaking, the first level of the egocentric emotions, the first blow to its devastating paralysis it has over us is by silencing it, by shouting it down. Once this level of deafening silence is applied, which offers that first halting blow to the loud self-centeredness of the emotions of our animalistic soul, then comes along the second stage of silencing the emotions in which we work through each of our emotions detail by detail refining elevating and transforming them as humbled conduits to our commitment and our service to God that's what our emotions are really here for they're here to give us the most awesome experience of commitment and service to God they're here to help us reach our destiny not to paralyze us from reaching our destiny in one of its two extremes of its expression of self-worthlessness. One more detail to the mystical teaching is the explanation of why Kalev was the spy who was able to do this. In short, the Hebrew name Kalev is numerically equal to the Hebrew name Elijah, which are both 52 the Hebrew letters of Kalev equals 52 and the Hebrew letters of Eliyahu equals 52 the name of God that is the numerical value of 52 is the name of God which represents the seven emotions however Elijah is of the saintly souls which are embedded in the name of God with the numerical value of 45 which is the name of God which represents the three intellects what's going on here The explanation is that within intellect there is the pure coldness of intellect and then there is the way the intellectual perception is now leading to a warm emotional inclination. The warm emotional inclination of the intellects, that is what Elijah represents. The 52 within the 45. The warm emotional inclination of the intellect is where the silencing powers of the intellect can refine, elevate, and transform the egotistical, self-centered voices of the emotions. I will explain this concept now in my closing statement, a practical guidance in overcoming the bipolarity of egocentric worthlessness. In closing, the place in which to truly silence the bipolar paralysis of the voices of our egocentric emotions is prayer Prayer is where we humbly speak to God The Rebbe of blessed memory teaches us uh, that in Torah study we are as a student before God our teacher However in prayer we are as a child before God our Father Prayer is the place and time in our day Where we humbly turn to God and we vulnerably connect with and talk with our higher power, our Father. Rabbi Shalom Dovber Vlubavich explains why the gift of prayer does not always work in our searching for a connection with God and in our search for a refinement and transformation of our emotions. The problem is, he explains, that all too often we don't stay humbled and practical in our prayer we get carried away and soar way too high again falling prey to one of the polar extreme worthlessness lost in an unsustainable intensity now the focus of prayer is to stay within the range of Kalev the 52 of the 45 as he embodies the power of Elijah. In prayer, we need to embrace only that which is within our humble emotional expression of our humbled intellect. We mustn't pursue the self-seeking intensity and ecstasy. The famed mentor, excuse me, the famed mentor, Rabbi Mendel Futafas of blessed memory would say, you go to the mountain and chip off only a digestible little rock This is how prayer is done In prayer we mustn't fall into intense humbleness of begging and beseeching God beyond our present capacity of digestible reality Simply and humbly talk to God We simply tell God where we are in our present emotional struggle and ask God for just the power to do the next right thing. This is the guaranteed way of overcoming the voices and to enter into our personal land. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. The Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.